Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here alongside the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. For today's episode, this is brought to you by Rock Auto. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. So this is officially the post-draft podcast. I have to apologize. I, I've, been, I've been a little bit busy with, with other jobs and uh, just just trying to... Just trying to work, Frank, trying to earn a dollar. So I, I, we normally are a lot quicker than this, so I do apologize. But we got the podcast out on the weekend. It was, uh, it was an interesting draft for the Bucks as far as what we thought could potentially happen coming in. Frank, you asked me, one of the last questions you asked me on our pre-draft podcast was whether or not I thought the Bucks were going to take someone with pick 31. I was kind of leaning into the fact that I thought that they would. That wasn't the case. They landed or made one of the early trades in terms of draft picks on draft night. Pick 31 went out. Uh, they got pick 54, pick 60, a couple of future seconds in the draft. So it was uh, at least established very, very early that if you're a Milwaukee fan, you could probably go and fill in your day, fill in your night, and come back about six hours later because, geez, this draft went on for a long time. But the Bucks didn't take one at pick 31. We mentioned a lot of guys we thought were at least curious at that spot. Uh, what did you think about this? Uh, we may as well just dive straight into it. What did you think about this trade straight up with the implications of obviously not taking someone with that selection, but also your area of expertise, the financial implications, the asset management when it comes to this deal? Well, I think, I mean, financially, uh, you know, any second round pick you take, you can get for that more favorable um, cap number uh, of, of sort of the actual rookie. So, so regardless of... Um, you know whether you uh, sign a rookie off the street or through the draft, the actual amount they, they get paid is I think this year a little over nine hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. But again, as we said last week, for cap purposes and tax purposes, it, they count as um, if you sign them off the street, basically without drafting them, they count the same as a second year uh, vet, two year NBA vet, uh, which is a little over one point six million, close to one point seven million, which again. If you're a ten-year NBA vet, you get paid way more than that, but you still count against the cap as as that number, so that you know, essentially teams don't have a reason to to NBA only sign really young guys. They're not aging. Exactly, exactly. It's a, it's a and it's a players union thing too, right? Like the yeah. union wants to make sure that that older veterans are not you know disadvantaged by the fact that they have a higher minimum salary that they get paid. So the league, if you sign a if you sign a one-year contract, the league um, does actually reimburse you uh, teams for uh, for the difference as well. So anyway, but um. You know, I th- I think the part that is not surprising is the Bucks trying to you know basically trade for future picks. Um, and again, what we didn't know going to draft night is did they have somebody that they were targeting? Did they have somebody that they liked? Um, I you know they obviously these teams scout all year, so it's not like you know teams are only scouting during the last you know 
month before the draft, before the draft, even if maybe coaches and some of the people that aren't as involved get more involved in that point. Obviously, the Bucks as an organization had a lot of other things going on during that period. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, oh, they just didn't scout all year. But you know, certainly for certain members of the organization, like the coaching staff, they obviously, I'm sure, were not really engaged with with scouting. Um, you know, was Mike Budenholzer going to be bought into a, a second round pick in the same way that he was with Dante DiVincenzo uh, in 2018 when he was very involved in the scouting process and came, you know, was clearly a fan of Dante and it's been pretty well reported that, you know, that uh, he was, he played a part in that. So, you know, if you told me that, well, the Bucks just didn't really like anybody at 31 or in that range, I'm not surprised. There's probably some circumstantial reasons for that given the playoff run and kind of, as I mentioned, but, you know, again, um, somebody at 31 who, whether you were going to pick them or not, obviously there's going to be players that come out of that second round who are going to be very good basketball players, Mm -hmm. maybe not stars, maybe not all stars, but there's going to be very good players there. The hard part is being the team that actually knows who those guys are and the luck of the draw to some extent and actually finding those guys. Um, so it's sort of one of these things that, you know, depending on how you look at it, it's like, yeah, the, the Bucks passed on an opportunity to probably draft a player who's going to be very good and could help them. Maybe not this year. You know, there may not be any real impact guys in terms of rotation minutes this year in the second round, but eventually some of those guys will pan out. Um, so there's kind of a couple ways to look at it. You can say, well, you know, the Bucks basically just punted a much higher value pick at 31 for two picks at 54 and 60, which you know, you just, I mean, the odds of finding people at 31 are not great. The odds of people finding, finding anybody at 54 and 60 are, you know, even like more remote. I think Seth Partner tweeted out, you know, a, a chart and, you know, it, it goes down pretty precipitously. Like, you know, I want to say like 10 or 15% of guys in 31 to 40 range uh, become like basically rotation players or better eventually, you know, not necessarily right away. Um, and if you go down to like 54 to 51 to 60, it's like, you know, less than half that, I think. So, um, so of course, okay. Yeah. You get two chances at 54 and 60. Um, but to me, I think the odds of finding anybody that, you know, is going to be a longer term player on your roster, uh, in that range goes down even further. And, um, as soon as they made that trade, you know, my thinking was, well, I wonder if they're going to a keep both of these picks, given the fact that they have those other kind of four second year players that we've talked about with, Jordan Wara, Sam Merrill, Lamadi Diakite, and Elijah Bryant already on the roster. You know, what's, what's going to happen here exactly? There's, I, I can't imagine they're going to carry six dudes, you know, <laughs> last, last year's rookies and two more rookies uh, into the regular season this year. So something's going to have to give. Um, so, you know, okay, uh, it felt kind of like a punt on this year. Um, so not a really terribly ambitious uh, for me uh, when you look at kind of this year's draft. But, um, you know, as we talked about as well, Bucks don't have exactly a stock cupboard of picks longer term. Both, you know, we talk a lot about the first round picks they shipped out as part of the Drew Holiday deal, but they also had lost some second round picks as well. Um, some of it due to like, you know, one of them was due to the Bogdanovich tampering thing. And that was next year's um, as well as some, a couple other picks. So, you know, I think John Horst talked about it. You know, this part of the, certainly the big motivations here was to just restock a little bit and add some second round picks to your kind of future uh, war chest and be able to, you know, again, just have some, some more, some more ammo you could dump into uh, a trade down the road. Right. Which 
who knows what that might be, but um, second round picks obviously often get thrown into trades to sort of help facilitate transactions. So that seemed like it was probably, you know, I think probably the motivation here was they didn't find anybody that they really loved, that they were really bought into. Um, they probably felt like, hey, we want to have at least somebody roll the dice on somebody from this year's draft. Um, to at least maybe not a guy that you feel really confident is going to be, uh, or, you know, even make the roster, but at least a guy that, you know, you can put into camp, put in a summer league, see what you have and hopefully make the roster develop and see what happens on the road. Um, and then the last part being just, again, picking up some picks for the future that, um, that you could use, uh, in, in future transactions. So, um, I kind of get the logic. I think, you know, you can poke holes in like the, the, let's just say the timing of when they did this obviously showed that they must really not have had much in the way of um, guys that they were looking at in the draft. Cause you know, if, if you wait until you're closer to 31 and you know, you're at least giving yourself a little more time to figure out if there's a guy you want also gives other teams a chance to potentially see guys slipping and have a better sense of what you might get at 31. I thought that was the interesting thing about, trading it a few hours before the draft basically, or a couple of hours before the picks, because it kind of indicated that the Bucks really had no intention of making a pick in anywhere near that range. And also teams that are buying that pick. I saw probably not shocking that the Pacers ended up trading that pick again, because, um, you know, again, it's, it's kind of hard to target somebody at 31, just given that, you know, it's pretty far down in the draft. So, um, you know, I would say the timing of the trade suggested they were pretty averse to, you know, kind of rolling the dice and, and figuring out whether they could get a beard better deal later. You know, Horace talked about that. Um, but it is what it is, you know. And we can talk a little bit more about, you know, the guys that they actually picked, which, you know, I also didn't find terribly inspiring. But once they, once basically they, they traded down to 54 and 60, my, in my head I was thinking, all right, um, I'm not going to have really any, expectations coming out of this draft just because of where you're picking. It's just so hard to find anything of value there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I would say not a very, you know, inspiring draft in terms of getting, you know, a, a higher end talent out of the, that early first round where you obviously are, are more likely to find somebody that maybe can't really help you initially really can't help you next year, which is obviously where their focus is, is competing right now. But um, you know, again, uh, I, I, I don't know. My, my expectations were pretty low and I was feeling pretty punch drunk by the time the bucks, I was not actually drunk by the way, but, uh, (laughs) but I was feeling, you know, pretty, uh, draft out. I was drafted out at that point. Uh, I was just like, all right, let's just get this over with (laughs) by the time the bucks were making their picks given we were like, you know, four hours and changing the things. I don't know. What, what were, what were your kind of thoughts? Like what, or were you sort of reading between the lines that happened? And obviously we did, we did hear from John Horst a little bit uh, the day after. Well, wasn't feeling too emotional either way about this one. I was certainly getting, I, I was a little bit humored by, by sections of Buck's Twitter. I'll say that, that they were already back in full outrage mode, which was pretty hilarious to me. I, look, I, I don't think this trade in the end is very consequential for anything that's going to help this team win a championship this year. I, again, we went through six or seven guys that we were like, wow, this guy's curious. This guy's interesting. And, and again, as you sort of pointed to, there will be one or two guys out of that 
portion of the draft that will look great. And everyone will be able to look back and say, oh man, could have drafted this guy. But ultimately, I didn't see anyone or I didn't see the Bucks taking a guy with pick 31 that was going to be in the rotation and help them win a title this year. So for that reason alone, I wasn't too worried because again, when you talk about the, whether it is the, the financial implications or, or what this Bucks roster is going to look like moving forward, this isn't the same old Bucks where you go back a few years ago and you really analyze the moves and say, oh man, that was maybe a little bit cheaper. Maybe they shouldn't have done that. It's just a different situation. They're already paying the tax now, Frank, and you went through it a couple of days ago on the podcast in terms of how quickly the luxury tax escalates year on year on year. So we always talk about it and say, well, it's not our responsibility to care about the owner's money. I certainly don't care about it. But at the same time, you have to look at it through the lens of, well, there is a limit. There's a limit for how much money these owners are going to spend on that luxury tax. It's just the facts. I mean, we've seen that with a whole bunch of teams. So the Bucks are obviously looking to win championships this year. I don't think pick 31 helped, but as our friend Dean uh, Maniart tweeted today, and you also uh, pointed out in terms of just acquiring future second round picks that we've seen before can be tacked onto trades and you can, you can make a mid-season trade perhaps near the trade deadline for a guy that will help you right now. So of course, what the Bucks are doing right now is not really looking to the future. They're looking for the right now and trying to capitalize and potentially win a back-to-back title. So I certainly wasn't going to lose any sleep over the trade with pick 31. I think, like you, I was just like, geez, I don't know if I would have made this trade right now. Like, it wasn't necessary to do it right in that moment. And John Horst himself, when he spoke to the media, said, I'm not sure if it was the best value that we could have got, but it was the best value for the Bucks. I don't really get that quote. It didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but uh, I, I guess in the end, the, the Bucks will be happy with the, the, the couple of future second-round picks that they got. And they took at least an interesting player, I would say, with pick 54, uh, great highlight reel, Sandro, uh, Sandro Mamukalashvili. Hopefully, I've said that correctly there. Out of Seton Hall, he's a little bit older. He's 22, I believe, but 17.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, 3.2 assists. He's six foot 11, but he's a beautiful passer, and he can actually, well, certainly at the college level, he put the ball on the floor a little bit there. And there's some some pretty impressive YouTube highlight reels. I know he had a a big night against Marquette at Fiserv Forum during the season, so he's familiar with Fiserv. But you know, again. Huge question marks defensively on him. I think Sam Vecini with the Athletic had one of the more funny draft reviews of this player saying that basically he's the most bizarre player in the draft class. He has no idea what he is or what he's going to become or what his skill set will be in the NBA. But I think at least guys like this, if you're going to take someone with pick 54 or 60, and this has been similar to what the Bucks did last year when they took two guys with legit NBA skills with Merrill and Jordan Moore in terms of their outside shooting. Uh, in this pick, they've gone for a guy that has size, he's unique, he can pass the ball, he can shoot it a little bit. So I think it's a, an intriguing player. And I'll tell you this, Frank, I'm excited to see him play in Summer League. You already mentioned that the Summer League squad is going to be pretty fun. Uh, I think that I, I'm going to enjoy watching this guy play because yeah, he's just he's unique. There's not many guys that you see at six foot eleven that can bring the ball up the floor, make nice, well-timed passes, have good court vision, and finish around the basket as well. So at least he's going to be an entertaining player to watch. And when you speak about the Bucks' younger players or, or the rookie sale contract guys that are on the roster, with pick 60, they actually went with a player from Greece. And no, it wasn't Alex. It wasn't Giannis' brother, which I saw Bucks' Twitter was getting very excited about. Yorgos... Kalitzakis, he's been playing over in Greece, and I think this was a, a fair hint from John Horse Frank when he did the 
the media availability there, he said, oh, we think he could be a player that could help us whether he comes this year or comes in future years. So I don't know. Just reading between the lines, he's obviously had contact with Yorgos there. And again, I know we have a lot of Greek listeners. Hopefully I'm not butchering that uh, pronunciation there. But if it is, I'm Australian, just blame it on that. But he might be a guy that doesn't even come over. We'll wait and see. But Sandro, any any excitement about Mamu? Which I think we can just call him Mamu. I think that's what most people will settle with. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think Sam had some comment about his, his quote was also <laughs> included something about him being really weird. And uh, old and weird. Somebody, He's old and weird. Somebody, somebody, yeah. Somebody then tweeted uh, a picture of Giannis with uh, when he did his his uh, his old and weird oh, bit from from Tampa. Yeah, and I, I immediately was like, yes, perfect. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I think it's kind of funny. The first thing I thought of because um, I you know again um, just uh, I'm I'm old and weird as a as a podcaster now. I, I sort of stopped. I stopped really caring about the second round sort of towards the end of when I was writing about the Bucks and like the mm-hmm. like 20 early 20 teens because I I you know when you first start like writing as much about the Bucks as I did you like oh it's like and, and especially cuz the draft was obviously very important to us Bucks fans in the late you know mid 2000s to early 2010s cuz what did we have to look forward to, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like the draft was a big deal. So, you know, you do like all prospect previews like oh who are second round prospects? Who are the Bucks working out? And it's just like, it's just not worth the hassle. Like, you know, like trying to guess who the Bucks are going to take is like, whatever, like not worth even trying to guess with, you know, trades and selling picks, buying picks, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, the odds of those dudes ever actually like being worth anything is just, just tends to be, you know, again, they're, they're long shots. Um, it's, it's a long shot to actually guess, you know, to actually write anything about the guy the Bucks are going to pick and then it's an even longer shot that seemingly that dude actually turns out to be anything so um I don't know not to not to uh still not to feel like I'm I'm being a buzzkill about this but you know again just just temper your, temp your expectations the Bucks have had certainly some some standout second round picks you know Brogdon um and going back further obviously uh you know Michael Red maybe being kind of the old school uh fun fun one to point out um but you know you can get rotation guys. You know we've seen seen that like every year. There's guys who become pretty good players that that are drafted in the second round. But it's just it's just hard to find them. And, and so, so and that's also just remember those guys. Even even Brogdon. I mean Brogdon probably would have played. But also the Bucks are just. I mean the Bucks haven't been in this position where they're just coming off a championship. Like the rotation is different, right? The opportunities and <laughs> let's just say the opportunities aren't the same to play. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of weird. Um, it's a little weird because the because um, on the one hand they're not deep, right? So there's like yeah, there's definitely like you know the seven through like ten spots in the rotation are are pretty up for grabs. Well, let's I mean let's see, let, let we'll talk about Bobby Portis. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, depending on who comes back, you know, maybe call it eight through ten guys are kind of up for grabs. There's a lot of young guys on the team, um, so it it is kind of weird because on the one hand they, there's there's I think there there's a very good chance that, you know, one or two young guys actually like play real minutes next year. Um, but are those one or two young guys going to play at all then in the, in the playoffs? I don't know. You know, given the, the way that the young, the young guys profile defensively on this roster and you can probably add Mamu to that, to that group as well. Um, you know, we, we saw obviously the premium that you put on having switchable defenders 
uh, in the playoffs. And, and I don't think, you know, certainly at least when it comes to Mamu, um, he's a guy that, that I think we're going to expect to see, uh, I mean, John Horst referenced him as being a multi-positional defender, but you know, if you're just equally bad at multiple positions, does that make you a multi-positional defender? I, I don't know. Right. I mean, that's, that's kind of the question. So, um, you know, I won't, I won't claim to know enough about either guy to, yeah. uh, to pronounce either of them, you know, DOA, uh, as far as NBA defense goes or anything like that. All right, Frank, let's talk about our great friends over at Built Bar and the beauty that is freedom of choice. Built Bar has so many delicious flavors. There is something for everyone. When you talk to a Built Bar fan, they're definitely passionate about their favorites. There's no question. If you don't know the Built Bar flavors, well, you are simply missing out, whether it's mint brownie, double chocolate, salted caramel, cookies and cream. You can go through the list. There is nine different flavors. If you don't know which one to choose, you can get a mix box. And uh, for those that aren't aware, for those that somehow aren't aware, these bars not only are the best tasting protein bar, but they're also healthy for you too. There's only 17 to 18 grams of protein, calories ranging from 130 to 180, only four to five grams of sugar and four to five grams of net carbs. And also, as the athletics start to kick off in the Olympic Games, Bill Bar is the official protein bar of the US track and field team, uh, which is pretty damn cool if you ask me. Go to Bill dot com and use the promo code locked and you'll get 15 percent off your off your order use promo code locked for 15 percent off at built.com you know we'll see I, I but i had the kind of the same thought you know it's about summer league when i was watching you know some of the the highlights of of mamu's game i was like immediately like oh i want to see this guy in vegas because oh, yeah. yeah he he has the potential to be a really fun you know, Vegas slash G League type guy. And then the question is going to be, obviously, can he, you know, because I think the passing is really what, what kind of stood out to me the most. The mm-hmm. passing and ball handling, um, to have a guy who's 6'11", be able to, you know, run the floor, dribble the ball, uh, and and make passes, throw alley-oops. Um, you just don't see big guys do that uh, very much. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, the shooting offensively, the shooting, you know, is he, is he athletic enough to, you know, get, get to the rim, finish around the basket consistently, do, do some of these other things. Obviously that that's probably the bigger question, but he certainly does seem to have, um, you know, a a high IQ as a, as a passer, which I think John Horst did mention, you know, is, is something they like and that, you know, you hope that that's indicative of him just generally being a, a very smart player who can kind of, you know, figure things out. Um, as, uh, as, as he tries to make that adjustment. But, um, yeah, I'm looking forward. If he's bad in Vegas, I'm going to, I'm going to be very like, okay, I'm going to pretty much write him off. I'm pretty much going to uh, write him off entirely, which, on. you know, it's probably stupid because, you know, he's a rookie. Um, you, but you at least for- him off the roster so Elijah Bryant can stay on. All right. <laughs> we already, we already know this. All right. And, and I'm sick. Of- <laughs> at least for this year, uh, you know, if, if Mamu can't, can't handle, uh, Vegas defenses, <laughs> then probably doesn't speak well of him uh, stealing minutes uh, in the regular season rotation. But, um, but yeah, he's a, he's a really interesting, really interesting player. And, um, you know, I think certainly when, especially when you're a a young guy and, um, you know, you're coming in and you're probably going to have it, if you play, it's going to be in a very limited capacity. Um, You know, being able to, again, you talk about guys who can dribble, shoot and pass. Um, those guys are just more likely to sort of figure it out and know how to fit in. Um, cause they can do a little, you know, do multiple things and 
Um, and again, you know, if you're drafting a guy because he's like a great post scorer and that's sort of all he does, that's going to be hard to really sort of translate that into, you know, meaningful impact in the NBA because random, you know, rookie off the bench is not just going to be getting force fed post post ups. But, um, you know, if you play, can play smart, you pass, run the floor, can handle it, can shoot a little bit. Um, you know, again, that just gives you a lot better chance of, of making the most of your minutes. Um, and, you know, I think with a lot of these guys, again, it's just, you know, is can the shooting translate? Um, what was he? 37, 38% from three, I think in college last year. Um, you know, I don't think he profiles as like a lights out shooter, but you know, it's going to be one of those questions. Is he uh, a guy that, that can reliably hit threes or is he going to be, you know, a 25% three point shooter on small volumes? You know, all, all those things will matter. So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him in Vegas. Um, you know, presumably we'll hopefully see him a little bit in, uh, training camp at, uh, in the preseason, just given the lack of depth that at least they currently project to have. But, um, you know, am I expecting much beyond that? Probably not. And, um, and I know, I will say, I know even less about, uh, Yorgios, um, and I, I was looking up pronunciation somewhere on, on Buck's Reddit. Someone posted that it's pronounced Kalaejakis. So I don't know. Okay. Greek, Greek, our Greek followers, you know, correct us, let us know. But um, yeah, let's just call him George. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't really know what to make of him. That, that was the far more head scratching uh, acquisition for me. You Even Mike Smith didn't know what was going on at that point. He's like, wow. Well, it's like, oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, he's. Alex Saratsis, who is uh, Giannis and Thanasis's agent, is also his agent. So I was just like, I was immediately, I was just trying to like, what is this? Like, if you know, he's like 22, so he's old for a prospect. He supposedly has some like point forward type abilities. He's six seven. He's not small, um, but you know, he's kind of old for a prospect and didn't seem to have any. Was not projected to be like any sort of like draft pick type uh you know no one i don't think don't don't think anybody was really expecting him to get picked so and he has he has a buyout and there's been some differing there i think there were some reports that he might get bought out by the bucks so that he could come over this Mm -hmm. year but it's and it's just like so he's gonna make the team um or is he gonna just show up for camp and then maybe be like a two way guy. I don't know. I mean, like I'm, I really have no idea sort of what, what's realistic for him. Um, but you know, with, with Mamu, I'm like, you know, expecting him to certainly make the roster. And then I think the question is just like, you know, is he doing anything other than, um, riding the pine and, you know, maybe getting some run with, with the herd next year with, with good old Georgie. Uh, I, I have no idea. Like literally I, I, I mean, if he's on the bucks roster, I, that would be very surprising to me. Um, his numbers in <laughs> in Europe were not impressive, so I don't know. I don't really know what what. Uh, I don't really know exactly. Uh, I don't really foresee a high likelihood of him ever uh, amounting to much. I was kind of like half expecting him to just, you know, be a guy that gets stashed and just sort of never never comes over. Yeah, you know. Um, but uh, who knows? Um, who knows what the end game is with, with him. And um, yeah, I mean, like I'm, I'm curious. I would hopefully uh, curious about George. 
Curious about George. Yeah, I'd love to see him in uh, in Vegas at least, so we got at least a look at him and just sort of can make some assessment of whether he's you know remotely NBA caliber. But um, you know, I think uh, I think again, it was probably if if the Pacers had offered you know fifty four. Uh, and then two future second round picks and they didn't have 60. I don't know that the Bucks would have not done that, <laughs> not done right. the deal. Um, because uh, certainly it seems like Mamu would be the, the far more, uh, as, as little as we, as little certainty as we have about Mamu's NBA future, I feel like I have a much better sense of it than I do with, uh, with good old, good old Georgios. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know if we have a whole lot more to add on those guys. Um, you know, I, I wasn't exactly expecting the Bucks to, you know, have add two more guys that are like even less certain roster, like even less certain about what they are than than the four guys you already had. Um, so that was a little interesting uh, that, uh, that the Bucks, you know, tr- trade down and and end up actually picking two guys, which you know I, I thought I thought they might you know still sell one of those picks after they acquired him or. Or whatever. I thought it was more about the the future picks at that point, but um, but yeah, I don't know. It, they they didn't use the trade exception. I think that was the other question. You know, is where they use number thirty one along with that four point nine million trade out four point nine million dollar trade exception to possibly you know try to bring in somebody to kind of fill maybe that you know kind of the Dante role since he's going to miss the start of the year. Um, but obviously they they didn't see anything they they ultimately like there, and um, they still have that trade exception moving forward, but. They've obviously now used the at least the the at least number thirty one they've used to sort of kick the can down the road a little bit and um, you know as an asset those future seconds and twenty four and twenty six obviously not exactly uh, worth a whole lot uh, in terms of trades and things like that now so um, so yeah uh, kind of a I don't even want to say anticlimactic because you know the climax of the Bucks season was two weeks ago uh, when they win an NBA championship and everything since then has just sort of felt like, you know, eh, whatever, you know, we're still basking in the glow of a championship and, um, you know, whatever they were going to do in the second round was probably not going to be too consequential for, for next year. And I would say that that certainly held true as much as, you know, it would have been fun to grab um, one of the more familiar names that, you know, we, we at least had talked about and sort of seized on uh, at 31 Obviously, they opted not to do that, and you know we'll see if that ends up being something that uh, they would have been better off, uh, you know, doing something different with. But um, you know, whatever. I'm still in the honeymoon phase here for a bit. I again, I, I, I don't. I've it's been a long time since I cared that much about second rounders, and especially this year, given the circumstances of winning a championship, I'm certainly much more interested in some of the news around PJ Tucker and Bobby Portis and what they do with veteran free agents than. Uh, than what they did, we're going to do in the second round this year. All right, we're going to wrap it there for today. And we're going to do this a little bit through the offseason. We're going to be able to split up podcasts a little bit. Uh, Frank and myself, as everyone knows that listens to this podcast with regularity, we can talk and talk and talk and talk. And every episode could go honestly for hours so we're going to split them up a little bit so this is the first part recapping the draftees of the bucks and what went into that decision and the trade but the next podcast that you'll see in your feed is going to be about the situation with bobby portis and pj tucker the money scenarios and why this is such an interesting talking point of the bucks offseason when it comes to bringing back 
those vital role players that uh, played such a big part in Milwaukee winning the NBA championship. So we hope you enjoyed this draft recap episode. Uh, Make sure you check out that free agency episode that also is going to be dropping here in just a couple of hours. And for Frank and myself, we're going to continue to roll through the offseason, whether it is summer league, free agency, heading into training camp. Uh, There is just so much to discuss, as well as the Olympics, our guys that are over there playing as well. So we thank you all for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. As I said, for Frank and myself, stay safe. We'll catch you guys next.